Hi, everybody. This is your host, Brian, for the Beyond Buildings podcast, where we meet innovative and inspiring facilities leaders from across the country. In this episode, I chat with Darren Porter, a friend and teammate of mine who was the director of facilities for Wheelersburg School District here in Ohio. During this episode, we cover the importance of clear, effective communication for facilities leaders. We also dive a bit into our background and the love-hate relationship that I've had with Darren over the years. Darren is a driven, caring facilities leader, and you will definitely want to hear from him. Let's dive in. Hey, Darren, welcome to our podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. Look forward to catching up and learning a little bit more about your background. So to get started, Darren, if you don't mind, just tell us a little bit about what you have done through your career and kind of what you're doing now. Thanks, Brian, uh, for the invitation. So, you know, as you can tell right off the bat with some of the gray that's starting to appear, I have quite a few miles on me. And, you know, some of those experiences started uh, right out of high school. I did attend a couple years of college and also work construction at the same time and uh, eventually got a job at Lowe's Home Improvement selling lumber and home packages. And I was there for a little while and then decided to uh, go to trade school. So I went through uh, three years of apprenticeship also with the Iron Workers Union out of Ashland, Kentucky, and uh, worked in the trades there for uh, about eight years. And then as luck would have it, uh, an opportunity opened up there with the school district where uh, I lived uh, as a director of operations. They were looking to combined uh, several positions into one supervisor's position that could oversee maintenance and facilities and uh, things of that nature. So I actually spent about 20 years there at that school district. Um, And along the way, uh, of course, I know we'll talk how you and I met, but worked at the school district there. I was also a transportation director for a couple of years, worked pretty deeply in construction projects, safety and security, and so forth. So in 2018, I actually made a career change at age 48, leaving a, a, a traditionally secure position at a school district and joining a startup software company. Sounded a little crazy to a lot of people, including my parents. So, but here I am. I've been with FMX now for five years and haven't looked back. Okay, Darren, thanks for sharing that. Uh, if you don't mind just elaborating a little bit further, it's quite the move to go from the iron workers industry to public education. What was that experience like and what surprises did you encounter as you moved into public education? Yeah, so, you know, the money was great and the iron workers uh, union. There was also some dangerous uh, scenarios with working, you know, pretty high off the ground and working around blast furnaces and molten steel and things of that nature. But I enjoyed it. It was a family trade. My dad and my uncles and cousins. And at one time, actually, I think we had the largest number of family members in the trade from one family. So, but, you know, as as things would go, uh, ended up getting married in 1991 and started a family and uh, travel, you know, became an issue with having a family. And uh, as work would get slow locally, I would need to travel quite a bit. So I you know, wasn't really looking, but the opportunity really just landed in my lap from a gentleman at church actually was saying, you know, hey, you know, there's this opportunity, not sure if it'd be something you'd be interested in. So my wife overheard that conversation and said, absolutely, he's interested. We're tired of him being gone. So yeah, it was quite the uh, selection process for my understanding. Uh, I know I was interviewed four times and they made a selection and uh, that must be where God wants me because that's where I that's where I landed. Well, Darren, let's get into the story of how you and I met. You were at Wheelersburg as a facilities director when I first met you. 
And uh, for those that I've shared the story with before, I describe it as a love-hate relationship. Started off on the hate side of the equation. Without getting into too many details, uh, I was an engineer at the time and my company designed uh, Darren's school building. And one of the things that we prided ourselves on was making really energy efficient buildings. And so at Darren's school, we specified a piece of equipment that's uh, called a heat recovery chiller. So you don't need to know too much about that other than that it cost $100,000 more than a regular chiller, but it was supposed to save them 20,000 plus per year. So if you do the math, chiller lasts more than 20 years, it's going to pay for itself in five, and then it's just going to have to save the district money. Problem was the chiller wasn't saving them anything. And Darren wanted to stand up for his district. And so it got to the point where the district was going to sue our company, I think, and the contractor. And we kept saying, hey, it's not our fault. The contractor didn't set up right. The contractor said, you know, the stupid engineer <laughs> specified the wrong piece of equipment. And it got to the point where we were also trying to do like another state project. And the leader of that project said, hey, guys, right or wrong, if you don't fix this, it's not going to be good for you. So with that, went down and um, met Darren and spent a weekend reprogramming his uh, central plant. Um, and during that time, I came to respect Darren. Uh, one of the things that really impressed me at this point, the building was, I don't know, Darren, what was it, seven years old, something at that point? Yeah, yeah. And it was it was clean. I mean, you could eat off the floor in the boiler room. The uh, maintenance team that Darren had assembled were very respectful and very skilled. And it was clear that he took great pride in his work. And so that hate relationship turned more into respect. And, uh, you know, here we are more than 10 years later working together and it's been a really fun journey. Yeah. And, and just to add a little bit of more color to that, you know, Brian was a fresh face, uh, right out of Ohio state, I believe, uh, as a mechanical engineer and, you know, uh, your coworker that kind of introduced me to you introduced you as a wizard. So, there were some things, you know, as you mentioned, that did needed repaired uh, on the chiller and so forth. But you were also able, while you were there, to identify some other areas and some other improvements that we needed and, and that we were able to implement in your time there. So much appreciated. And one funny story, just to kind of wrap up that piece. After we did the work, you know, to get the chiller operating properly, their gas bill had dropped by, I think, over 90%. So this was during the summer. So believe it or not, a lot of schools have to run their boilers and their chillers in the summer to prevent overcooling interior spaces. And so by fixing this problem, we, they didn't have to run their boiler, but the gas dropped so much that the company sent somebody out to check the meter because they thought it was broken. So it's kind of a funny story. Yeah, exactly. We got several credits on the gas bill for quite a while too. Yeah. One thing I wanted to kind of get into as well, Darren. So in a, in a you know, in addition to being impressed with the cleanliness of your facility and the skill and, and impact of your team, you also struck me as a great communicator. Uh, and I just wanted to kind of go into, you know, in the context of facilities and maintenance management, how would you define effective communication and why is it important? Right. So communication is something that I've always thought as a vital part of any team, whether you're working in K-12 or in manufacturing or even in the construction trades. So, you know, breakdowns of communication can lead to all kinds of unsavory things. Um, but just within my team there at my school district, you know, I found out pretty quickly that you know, they had not always communicated well in the past. And that was something that I wanted to address and, and figure out a good way to move forward from there. So really just, you know, a couple of descriptions of good communication from my perspective would be, you know, accurate communication without potentially fear of conflict. Uh, obviously, we want to be professional 
but we need to be honest at the same time with, you know, just communication, whether you're doing a, an employee evaluation and maybe there's some things that, that that person could could improve upon and just being honest and open about those, but also respecting their position and, and being professional about that. So fear of conflict is one of those dysfunctions of administrative teams uh, in general as well. So I knew that that was something that my administrative team was working on, you know, just mitigating. So good communication within my department at the facilities level started to improve just by making sure they knew that my door was open for anything that they needed. There were issues, whether it be personal or on the professional side, you know, we could definitely talk about those. And they knew that I would keep those private uh, if needed. So, So communication really started to improve within the facilities department. But then once we started to write that ship, then I started to uh, go down the path of improving communication outside of my department. So communicating from facilities to technology or from tech from facilities to transportation or from facilities to you know event scheduling and so forth. Mm-hmm. So we were able to be pretty successful and it did take some time, right? And it took, you know, it probably took me a couple of years really to get a, a good expectation of, you know, what we could see from other departments and then what they could expect from facilities. And it really worked well, you know, from that perspective. But then also we were able to, you know, implement a system that had some automatic notifications whenever work was being requested or even being completed by the facilities team. Um, and that that was a great improvement as well. That's great. Can you provide an example? Like if you think about, you know, the experiences that you've had where poor communication had a significant negative impact on a project? So, yeah, one of the pitfalls of uh, of not communicating well. So, you know, we did, as you know, we went through several building projects, one of which, you know, I, I met you on. And communication initially, you know, we did prov- we did want to encourage input from the community on what our new school building should look like. And, you know, are there any other concerns? And we actually passed out cards, you know, that the community could jot down a list of things that they would like to see in a new facility. So that was one good way to communicate. But in that communication process, we found out pretty quickly that there was a lot of concern with drainage from the site. So stormwater drainage uh, and so forth. And we didn't really pick up on that concern well enough early in the project. And that resulted in some more official communications coming from like the EPA Mm. and some other folks. And it was like, oh my, you know, we really need to pay attention to this and really communicate what the plan was for stormwater mitigation. You know, we were going to be building detention ponds to hold back that water so that we didn't, you know, drown our downstream neighbors. So we found out pretty quickly that we needed to communicate that better because we had a huge concern from the community. That's a great example. But it kind of ties back into your first point around uh, conflict too. Like we have a saying here at FMX, you know, embrace productive conflict because ignoring a problem or you know not talking about it doesn't make it go away. And in fact, sometimes it makes it bigger. Right. Well, moving on, uh, you know, when we think about technology and the impact that it can have on our communication, uh, how has technology influenced the way that that you did your job, you know, at at Wheelersburg? Right. So, uh, as somebody that graduated in the 1980s, I graduated without internet and without cell phones and, you know, iPads and some of those modern conveniences that we see today. 
And just, you know, throughout my careers, and especially after joining the school district, I was able to see technology really play an important part in the way that we communicate. Uh, early on, you know, we had a lot of pain with using paper. Uh, we had paper processes for submitting work orders. We had paper calendars on the wall, you know, and it was easy for somebody to come in and erase you know, somebody else's event and, and, and jot down their own. Um, but it was really our responsibility on the facilities team to keep track of all of those events. And so I, I really had to just travel from office to office, from building to building, looking at, at their paper calendars on the wall to determine what type of support we needed to be ready for. So yeah, early on, paper, email, it really made us inefficient pretty quickly uh, from that perspective. And then you know, introduce uh, the cell phones. Uh, and even really before cell phones, we implemented a walkie-talkie system within the school district. And so that did allow uh, a little better communication. Instead of needing to wait for to see somebody to communicate a message, we were able to page them or just contact them on the radio. So that was a, a pretty good step forward. And then the cell phones, uh, we all know the capabilities there. Uh, you know, and starting out with like a, a little Nokia uh, handheld and then eventually graduating up to the Razor flip phone. Uh, and then, of course, today's smartphones really have a huge impact on communication. So whether you're juggling email or phone calls or texting, uh, Voxer, there's a lot of other apps out there that you can think of for communication. You know, that that did tend to lend to better communication within the facilities team. Did you do any sort of training for your team, Darren? I mean, certainly as a maintenance professional, you know, there's the skills part of the job, but then there's also the bedside manner. That's also important. Did you do any sort of training on that front? Yes. Um, you know, we always wanted to, you know, have our best foot forward, you know, because we did, we did see our customers as the students, first and foremost. You know, that was the reason we had a job to begin with. We were there to provide the best environment that we could clean, well lit, you know, comfortable as far as temperature. And we wanted to provide that the best learning environment that we could, because there's all kinds of studies out there. Even back when I started my career, there was a there was a pretty good correlation between building conditions and, and the impact on student learning. And, and we were aware of some of those. So but beyond that, you know, our other customers were the staff members. So teachers mm -hmm. and principals and coaches and all of those folks, and on really on top of that, the community, the, the community members. But really, day to day, we strive to improve our image physically. Uh, we implemented a uniform policy. So uh, one of the first things the superintendent allowed me to do was to go out and purchase uh, nice polo shirts with our school logo and the name of the person you know that was wearing that that polo, and it just really projected an image of hey, that's somebody that belongs here. That's somebody that knows what's going on. That's somebody that can help me uh, if I need help. So that was a pretty good first step just in improving our image physically. But also at the same time, I tried to lead with, hey, always be respectful and always give somebody the benefit of the doubt until you have a good reason not to. So that really helped kind of turn the image of our department. Yeah, that's great. And really great point on the on the image side of the equation. I, I not thought about that. Moving on, I, I've heard you use a term before called hallway hijacking. <laughs> Why don't you kind of share with uh, our audience here what you mean by that? Yeah, so hallway hijackings are not fun. I've heard other terms, uh, the, sh the shoulder tap or the honeydew or, or whatever you want to call it. So, you know, my district, we, you know, we would be walking 
up and down the hallways, you know, maybe on our way to do a preventive maintenance task on a boiler or something, uh, or to go look at a roof leak. And it was pretty common early in my career to get stopped in the hallway uh, by teachers or other staff members because, uh, you know, let's face it, the first thing that they think about when they see us in our uniform is, hey, that's somebody that can help me. And, oh, I just remembered something that I need done. You know, we were constantly getting stopped in the hallways uh, just to just to be able to hear those requests. And as you can imagine, you might get stopped two or three, maybe four times on your way to do a job. And if you didn't take notes or have a really, really good memory, you were going to forget something. And that then put the burden on my team to have to remember all of those details. And if something didn't go down correctly, then it was our fault. So pretty quickly, we determined that, you know, the hallway hijackings, the uh, the paper, you know, stuff like that really was not the best way to communicate uh, for our team. It makes a lot of sense. The hallway piece kind of got me thinking uh, around safety concerns and facilities and, and how communication impacts safety and security. Maybe you can touch on that. One thing I did uh, within, I think, two years after I started there at the school district, we created a safety committee and we met uh, initially, we met once per month uh, just to address, you know, some of the existing conditions in our facilities. We were in some older buildings, never really had a good way to communicate safety concerns in the past, other than maybe until somebody showed up at a board meeting and said, hey, this is this is a big problem. So. We wanted to head those off uh, if we could and be a little more proactive. So we started this safety committee and we pulled in a couple of representatives from the teachers uh, staff, uh, my bus mechanic, the school nurse, uh, just a good assortment of folks that could bring something to the table and something to that committee. And we really started quickly to identify some safety issues, physical, structural, even traffic flow on the school pro- on the school grounds with buses and, and, and vehicles on the property at the same time. And then we also opened a safety suggestion box, which and early was paper, but <laughs> then we uh, eventually streamlined that over to an electronic form and we could receive those real time as well. So yeah, any safety or security concern could be easily communicated to the committee. And then from there, we would you know address it accordingly. That's great. Well, earlier I had to share kind of a time where poor communication led to a challenge. You know, you're sharing the EPA concerns and that sort of thing. I'd like to ask you to kind of maybe share the inverse of maybe a time where you've had a success story where strong communication, you know, had a positive impact on maybe an otherwise hard, hard project. Yeah. And really, I could just piggyback on that same project. So I, I spoke to, you know, some of the early difficulty and the breakdown in communication with our community members. Uh, around our school project. So if you kind of fast forward to, you know, we had already moved into the building and uh, we had created some detention ponds to be able to, you know, mitigate stormwater. Now, our, the way that our school property is kind of situated in the in the community, we're up on a, a hill and, you know, really anything that that flows off of that hill is going to go down into some residential neighborhoods. So, we worked really hard to just continue to communicate with the community our efforts to not only maintain those detention ponds and and keep them well manicured and can keep the keep the grass mowed in those but also we could take elevation readings to make sure that silt and things weren't starting to build up in in the bottom of those ponds mm-hmm. and really diminish the capacity of the ponds so we had had a few pretty catastrophic flash floods uh, even before the school building was built up on top of that hill. 
And uh, it really, I mean, it damaged a lot of homes and, and so forth. But very quickly after creating those detention ponds and creating that stormwater mitigation plan, we noticed that, hey, the next big few rains that we received, that water was held on site at our school. And it was uh, the way the water was released. It's kind of like a bathtub, right? So you fill your bathtub up, you pull the drain, and just a little bit goes out at a time in a manageable flow. Kind of a similar uh, case here where we could hold that water on site and then release it a lot slower. And it didn't necessarily all rush downstream and, mm -hmm. and flood any homes. So that was a big kind of an attaboy, I think, for our school district. And we heard a lot of really positive, you know, comments and and thank yous, you know, in, in the immediate years, you know, after we moved into the building. Yeah, that's great. It's going to turn that turn that one around. Right. Um, back on the topic of communication, tell me a little bit about the way that you communicated with outside vendors and that sort of thing. So it's it's one thing to man manage internal communication, but external can have its own challenges. Yeah. So small town, right? You know, our school district, uh, we had probably a little less than 2000 students. So small community. And a lot of times the opportunity to have multiple vendors, you know, bid on a project was really not there for us because we didn't, we were in a kind of a rural area, but we had really good relationships with our vendors, especially the ones that provided our cleaning supplies for the custodial team or maintenance parts. Of course, you always have the local hardware uh, where everybody kind of hangs out. And, and that was uh, the case for us too. had good relationships with those local mom and pop, you know, hardware type stores and, 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 and local suppliers. So, you know, those early relationships were really more telephone communication or, hey, you get in a truck and you go down there and you talk to them. And, you know, we would have uh, vendors, you know, help us with various projects, service contracts and so forth. And that communication early on was mostly just face to face mm -hmm. uh, or on paper. As we kind of progressed and we implemented, you know, a new work order system, we had the opportunity to then assign work to some of those same vendors. And we even took it a step further and we were able to train. Let's say if, you know, if you had ABC, you know, service company, you know, coming to your building and they're there at least once per week or once per month because they're there for a service contract on your chillers, let's say. Those folks, uh, we, we tried to take it an extra step and really show them our new system, how it could communicate with them. And how they could also, you know, provide comments uh, after they serviced, you know, a piece of our equipment. That's great. So that 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 tended to really lead us down a, a little more efficient path. Yeah, it's great. It's kind of integrating the vendors as almost an extension of your team, certainly for the ones that you use frequently. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and we were able to use some of those metrics after we had that data after a few years. You know, it's funny because you you kind of work, you have a gut feeling, right? So this vendor is or is not performing the way that we like, but we really didn't have any measurable data to show that. But after we started using the system and the vendors were using the system, we could easily provide a report on the projects that they were have completed for us. You know, were they on time? You know, and, and did they stay within their contract and within budget? Mm -hmm. That's great. Well, Darren, I know we are getting close on time here, but before we wrap up, wanted to see what advice would you give to somebody entering the facilities management space, you know, especially with K-12? Wow. Uh, so get some thick skin. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I would say that I'm probably a, a people pleaser and that's certainly a good quality to have. But at the same time, you know, 
you can drive yourself crazy with trying to please everybody. And I mentioned early, you know, early on, you know, those hallway hijackings and getting stopped and and trying to really just be all for everybody. One thing that really helped me kind of springboard into a different way of thinking was having a system at my uh, disposal that I could use and then have that system kind of really as a go-between, so to speak, so that it gave requesters and gave my staff a way to communicate with us what they needed. But at the same time, it didn't bog us down or pull us off of something more important mm-hmm. at the time. So, you know, yeah, going into facility management is not for the faint of heart. And, you know, there's all kinds of different metrics and all kinds of different areas of facility management, you know, everything from, you know, managing people to communicating with stakeholders and taxpayers in the community to communicating with your board members. You know, I was required to attend board meetings every month and give an update on kind of what we're doing within the facilities department. Energy efficiency, designing new buildings, managing keys. Uh, There's all, you know, there's all kinds of things you could think about, but just, you know, rely on the folks that potentially have already been there. Mm -hmm. If you can find a good local network of other people that have been facility managers, other local school districts, you know, if you can, you know, get together a little network of folks that you can call and say, hey, what happens when this, you know, when when you do this or, hey, I've got this employee that's having this issue. How did you handle that at your district? So you're not necessarily a one man band unless you and I know you feel that way sometimes, but, you know, rely on those folks that have already been there. Thanks, Darren. That's really, 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 really great advice. Thank you again for your time today. We'll see you down the road. Mm-hmm.